0: it goes to show you how you know students really love creative writing you know yeah. um, so it's 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 one of those majors it's always nice to know that you know your students no one's no parents are making their students study. <laughs> Writing, you know? It's not like econ or, or you know, medical school or uh, pre med or anything like that. No one no parent is making their kids study what we teach. Yeah so I, I feel like the it's there, it's like, they want to be there.
1: Right, yeah, and I feel like it would be almost more like parents are trying to navigate their kids out or like away from like creative writing as exactly uh, as a yeah. <laughs> as a major. Hello friends, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of So Poetry. Um, I know that I've been doing uh, just one episode a month, uh, that's kind of what I can handle right now. Um, if things change, you will you will notice because I'll be posting about it on my social media. But uh, aside from that, uh, I am talking with a dear new friend of mine. Um, we have known each other all of what July, August, September, October, and like six, <laughs> six months. Um, Has it only been six months? Yeah, I mean, Jesus. Yeah, because we yeah it was the the very beginning of June. June. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's- so I'm I'm talking with uh, Vu Tran, who is a phenomenal fucking uh, fiction writer. Um, I devoured his debut novel, Dragonfish, in probably, like, two and a half days um, <laughs> of, like, really intense, maybe, like, three or four hour sessions over the course of those, like, two and a half days. Um, so if anybody out there is looking for, like, a really neat... Uh, like, cop mystery book with kind of a Murakami-ish flavor to it. Check out Dragonfish. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So Vu and I met at uh, the Vermont Studio Center, um, the residence, the month-long residency that we both did back in uh, June. Um, Vu, would you like to introduce yourself? Talk a little bit about like what you're, what you're up to.
0: Uh, sure. Um, it's really good to, to, to see you yeah. uh, and to talk to you uh, again. Um, uh, Vermont Studio Center was, was great, so I, 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 and I met so many wonderful people there, including including you. So uh, it's really good to see you. Um, uh, well, I, um, Dragonfish is my first novel, um, and that came out two years ago. And I've, uh, I guess I've been struggling to, to start work on a second novel, um, I can tell you a little bit about the second novel. It's yeah, please. Um, the, the shorthand that I've started telling people is that it's my Vietnamese Gothic novel. Ooh. Um, and it kind of is, I know I was started. Um, I, I always had this question in my mind. It's a kind of fanciful, uh, you know, question, uh, I've had about, you know, well, what would have, what would I have been like had I grown up in uh, Vietnam, had I not, you know, um, immigrated, you know, to the United States and mm-hmm. lived, grown up here and been shaped by the American culture? Yeah. You know, if I had, if I had been, you know, entirely shaped by Vietnamese culture, uh, would I still be a writer? Would I even be engaged with the arts? You know, mm-hmm. w- would I be a teacher? You know, it's like uh, I've always been curious. Would I even look the same? <laughs> uh, and then I thought, well, would, wouldn't that be interesting if a person, of a character like myself, met the the version of himself that grew up in Vietnam? Oh wow, that was like kind of like figure. So I, um, because I started doing the residency thing this this summer, it was my first um, uh, foray into artist residencies. I thought I would actually, you know, set it at an artist residency. I, I have this um, American uh, Vietnamese American character who is an orphan, raised in uh, you know doesn't remember anything about his past. Came here very young, was raised by a white American family in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and and doesn't know anything about his background. And um, through a series of events, he's a painter, and he uh, after a, a complicated relationship, he finds refuge at an artist residency. In um New Orleans that is uh, founded by this uh, Vietnamese couple mm-hmm. who have on this l- very very large estate have uh, recreated parts of Vietnam uh, on the estate. And it's at this residency that the the protagonist this Vietnamese American painter starts seeing um, I guess you could call it phantasmagoric manifestations of the life he would have lived had he grown up in vietnam oh that's wild that sounds so fucking cool including this figure who might be the version of him who grew up in in vietnam so that's you know <laughs> i started it but that's the basic premise of of the novel and, and i don't know it I, I and as i said to you uh when we were just chatting with this it's um uh, starting a novel is very hard for me because I, I feel like I have to commit to the whole process, and I know I have to commit to years of of doubt and 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 you know, uh, just writing is very painful for yeah. me until it, you know until it's not you know. Yeah.
1: So how? So, I don't yeah. know. I feel like this came up when we were at Vermont, but I don't I don't remember. Um, if it did come up, I don't remember what your answer was. How, how long did it take you to write Dragonfish?
0: Well, it depends how you look at it. I, I sold it in, in May of 2009. I had 60 pages when I sold it. And uh, it, I didn't turn it in until January 2014. So between selling it and turning it in, uh, and it was pretty much finished when I turned it in. That was about five years Okay. Uh, I would say a good four of those was, you know, writing every day. Um, I had a year where I was kind of stuck in, you know, making the transition to a new city, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, and a new job. Uh, I, I'd come to the University of Chicago to teach, so I was learning, you know, the first year of teaching anywhere is always really hard on you, so... Uh, but I was also stuck on the novel, and, and I didn't get unstuck until, you know, that summer, summer mm-hmm. of 2011. And I wrote pretty much every night from 2011 to, to when I turned it in. Wow. Cool. So, yeah, it took, it took a long time. It's just so much like, you know, you're always wondering if you can actually get it done and get it done <laughs> in a way that that pleases you, you know? Yeah. And and it's just just I've never written or finished a novel in my life, so it was it was just very hard. And I still have that fear that it will be just as hard but in a different way with a new novel.
1: Yeah, I was going to you know, I was going to ask if you, if you thought that it is um like do you do you think that that part of the difficulty um with the with Dragonfish was that it was your first novel and you didn't really know like, you were figuring out the process of novel writing as you were actually, like, oh, writing the novel?
0: I th- yeah, I think all writers. No writer knows how to write a novel until they write it. There's no amount of classes or lessons or even tutoring, <laughs> if it comes down to that, one-on-one tutoring, that, you know, you don't understand how to write a novel until you write one. Yeah, You know, um, you can try to prepare yourself and study, you know, the... The craft and everything, uh, but every novel is not just novel writings, every novel, especially if you want to write a good one, mm-hmm. has its own challenges yeah. and its own kind of mysteries to figure out. And and and, so, and you won't really know understand how to do it until you do it. Yeah, and, and you know, um, I suspect that that it's it's specific to a project. You know that that you know a new novel will have its own, you know, will clearly have its own challenges and mysteries. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's always a, you know, there are people out there who can write them easily, yeah. you know. Um, I'm not one of those people, so. <laughs> and I've just embraced that fact, Yeah, you know, accepted it.
1: Yeah. So I, this, um, this is going back a little bit to your I guess like uh synopsis of your new novel but as you were describing it I was reminded of um the piece that you wrote for I think a podcast while you were at uh the yeah. Vermont Studio Center um it was like the, n- the night you were out um like looking across the river and you see like a red light or um yeah. I don't remember if it was like a singular light or like a pair of eyes or something but that sort of it was a um, cigarette ember. Yes, yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but that, that sense of, like, looking out across into some sort of darkness and being confronted with potentially this, like, you know, this this image or this presence or this thing that could very well be some, like, alternate version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um. So it did, like... Or did do you feel like both of those things came out of sort of the same idea, or that like the have you been have you been like sitting with that thought for a while, and that's kind of what like what germinated yeah, yeah, for the that, novel?
0: That's funny that you made. I didn't even think of it, but you're absolutely right. It's kind of the same thing, and maybe I've always kind of written about the same that that I guess um, you know that that aspect of uh, of looking at oneself. Mm-hmm. But you know I I. I, I you know, the idea of, like, uh, actually meeting a version of yourself is a kind of, like, literal, you know, manifestation of something that I think we all do. I mean, you know, we only have, you know, our con- our own consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how we operate in the world through our own consciousness. So, it's, it's inevitably a, a constant process of, of looking at yourself or seeing yourself in everything and, and, and everyone. Yeah. And, um, so I think we all do that this way, whether we're conscious of of it or not. Um, the only thing I'm kind of doing is making it a bit more literal. Yeah. A bit more phantasmagoric. Um, but it's something that I think every single person does, uh, because we're all egocentric in that way. Oh Yeah. Yeah and uh, I know I do that and you know when I have a friend you know I a lot of my friends are you know when I observe them I'm in a sense always kind of you know applying myself mm-hmm. to the situation I'm observing a part of myself through them um, I don't always know that but you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's even in that kind of uh, even in that case we're kind of doing that yeah and I was I'm just
1: thinking more literal (laughs) (laughs) so two two things in relationship with that one um like the fact so like thinking of of your your new book is the sort of like the gothic um novel with the sort of like i don't know like the gothic gothic novels or gothic stories that i have read has have that kind of pervasive sense of like dread or foreboding or just this like dark mm. pressure that's kind of being exerted into the center of, of, the, of the piece, um, which definitely resonates with me because uh, one of my deepest and I think longest standing fears is uh, that my friends or like romantic partners or whatever will meet someone that is essentially a better or a more interesting, interesting version of me. And then oh, wow. drop me for the new person. That's
0: fascinating, Michael. <laughs> and that's it's like,
1: fascinating. and it's there have been like one of my partners. Um, things kind of shook out towards the end of our relationship. That um, at least emotionally, it felt like that's what was happening. That I was being uh-huh. like my place in her life, um, and I don't. I don't. Mean to use the word usurp because i feel like there's like negative uh sure. you know like uh machination type connotation to that but it felt like my place in her in her life um like whatever emotional like resonance or whatever that i had was being slowly transferred over to someone else um mm-hmm. and that fucked me up for probably a year and a half afterwards just cuz i was like oh this is my this is my greatest fear that's actually happening to me and i like I don't know what mm-hmm. to do with this. Um, but the, the second thing that I was, I was thinking about as you were talking about how like we all, um, you know, it's like we, we center ourselves and we use our, our self and our consciousness and our perceptions, like kind of overlaying them onto other people, like thinking about uh, empathy, like the whole idea of like putting ourselves into someone else's position Mm-hmm. That like the only you know the only avenue that we have to understanding someone else's experience or someone else's feelings or emotions or whatever it is that they're going through, is by like imagining if it were us happening in that situation instead of thinking it's like oh it's it's happening to them I can understand yeah you know, like exactly. I have I have enough of a I don't know like a, a largesse of awareness to be like oh I can understand this because it's happening to someone else not that. I can yeah. only understand this through the filter of what would, how would I feel if this were happening to me? Mm-hmm. Which is, a, I never thought about empathy that way, but it's a weird sort of like even, even the more altruistic, um, you know, endeavors like broadening empathy is still sort of self-centered at the very like core of it. Oh, absolutely, it
0: is. I mean, oh, I could, I could go on and on about empathy and how I think it's um, and my thoughts on it, but. <laughs> You're you're absolutely right that I yeah it, it is a it, it's an inherently and, and inevitably uh, selfish act yeah even, even in its most altruistic form
1: that's wild uh, wow because
0: you know, how I mean what choice do we have yeah but we have no choice but to be the center of the universe <laughs> there's no other we, there's no one no matter how powerful your uh, your empathetic uh, skills are. Uh, you can only see the world through your own eyes. Yeah. Um, and so, even that act of, of of trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you're still you're still at the center of that act. Yeah. Um, but that's all you can do. You can't ask for more than that. And and frankly, I sometimes think um, I sometimes think art, and I'm not just talking about literature, but mm-hmm. that the art world in general is kind of being plagued by this very, I think, simplistic notion of, of empathy as if that is the highest goal. Um, I mean, obviously as a writer, at least I can only speak for writers. I mean, you can't be a good writer unless you, unless you can imagine how people who are different from you think and and feel and behave. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not the highest act. I mean, I, I feel like, even as a culture, we, we view empathy. And I think as though it it, it is the, the as though it's like this universally held, uh, and positive act. Yeah. I don't, I think empathy can be very overrated. I think there there are, I think there are a lot of evil manipulative people who are very empathetic and the way that they take advantage of people is, is through
1: their understanding, their, their, empathetic powers oh yeah i mean like like con artists like that's that's what you prey on is like the the altruism or the compassion or the you know just like the 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 small sort of uh reserves of i guess like quote unquote better human nature um yeah which is which is interesting thinking about like, again, thinking about like empathy and or as like empathy, if you translate it as like a, a transference of experience or emotion um, to someone else, thinking about like my own poetry in a very different light. Now, it's like when I write, one of my goals is to make people feel the way that I feel um, mm-hmm. in sort of a roundabout way of of trying to be understood, which mm-hmm. I mean, I is obvious now that I think about it, but it's like that's. Again, that's a very self-centered kind of selfish act that's like I I want people to understand how I feel. So I'm I'm going to just because, because you are the center of the world.
0: <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know, it's like it's it's, okay. it's not necessarily bad. Yeah. It's inevitable, it's human uh, and it's not necessarily bad. I mean, I, th- I think most of the time when people talk about empathy, they're they're really talking about compassion, mm-hmm. and that's something very different. I, I for me, I, you know, the act of empathy is is um, like you say it's a it's it's a inherently selfish process, um, but you know at its most successful it's also a very cold act you know mm. to to basic, it's a very um, I feel like to true to, to sometimes to be truly empathetic you have to you know uh, reach into some you have to kind of go through this cold, objective process of imagining. It's weird. It's 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 simultaneously a very selfish act, but you also have to erase yourself, yeah, or try to erase yourself to try to imagine someone else's experience, yeah. And, and sometimes that revo- that you know, um, weirdly enough, and ironically enough, it it requires that you remove compassion from the process to truly understand someone, you know? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's a much more complicated process than when I hear people use that word. I hear it all the time now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's usually in a kind of altruistic context. I I see this so often in artist statements, you know, Mm -hmm. that this is an act of empathy and that that's what they're striving for. And, uh, I don't know I, I, I for it triggers this kind of like cynicism in me that that I'm not sure is a good thing to be honest, but all I know is that it's there i I don't quite trust their idea of empathy okay I don't trust that it's uh, not that I'm saying that they're lying or anything right That's yeah it's like, just but like, like that, that yeah I just feel it's it's that they've thought enough about it
1: yeah. Well, I, feel like uh, this, I get very cynical about it. <laughs> I feel like this, this relates uh, to me. Uh, the conversation that we had, um, it was uh, you, me, Kim, and I don't remember who else was in the car, and I feel bad about that. But we were coming back from...
0: Um, oh, yeah, that was um, Jesse.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we were coming back from the uh, Bread and Puppet Theater when we were talking about uh, like authenticness or or being right. genuine. Um, mm. That there is a like a similar sort of like there those are terms that especially now people are are using or like you know writers or other artists are using and throwing around and it 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 um, it bugs me yeah yeah no like but I feel like it's the same sort of like your position on that was that you like again it's not necessarily end all be all it's like the highest goal to approach is being authentic or being an authentic self but even that sort of like well, what is that what does that even mean now with, yeah. you know, it's like how, how much it's been used that like the meaning of it has been kind of shaved thinner and thinner and thinner. And in then until people just say it, I'm assuming probably how you feel like um, when people are talking about empathy, that people just say it, but there's not that, I guess the exactly. experience or the, um, like the contemplativeness that can push, bu- that can buoy it as like, well, this is like... This, these are the experiences that I've had that have led me to this. Instead of just like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be genuinely empathetic in my you know, yeah, whatever. But it's it's not just that
0: it's it's used. Those words and concepts are used loosely. It's it's that I don't think the way people use it is even correct sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I when people talk about you know what I probably said in our conversation about authenticity is that. Um, I don't even think when people use, I hear it all the time from really smart, talented people, you know, like I I only try to write authentically. I mean, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I think when people talk about authenticity, they're usually talking about a kind of like collective idea of what is authentic. So, for example, when they say I'm trying to write authentically. They're trying to say that they're trying to be true to themselves individually, but really, they're what they're talking about is a kind of community's idea mm-hmm. of what's authentic. Whether it's an ethnic community or you know, um, or well, whatever kind of cultural identity you're, you're 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 referring to, mm-hmm. I think they're talking more about that community's idea of what it is to be authentically that thing, okay. rather than rather than their own individual idea of being true to themselves right i mean no i mean i and and that's what i um i'm reacting against is, mm-hmm. is at you know because i don't think if you're being true to a, a communal idea of authenticity <laughs> that doesn't sound authentic. <laughs> right yeah you're just keeping it real for other people uh sort of speak um and the question is are you really you know being true to what you actually are or feel, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and that is getting towards something much more vague. You know, what does it mean to be true to yourself? I, I don't even know what that means. You know? Yeah. So the, the whole, yeah, that whole concept of authenticity, I think, has has been kind of, it's it's been made it's been made reductive. Yeah. And and a little simplistic for my taste. Yeah. I know. I I, I sound a bit like an asshole when I say <laughs> that. Um. No, I but mean, I just, you I, I, just see. I I get frustrated, you know, um, because I, I think even in a community of really smart, you know, very thoughtful, you know, artists, there, there are still so many cliches in the creative yeah. world, and I, I hear it so often, um, and I, I lose uh, I lose patience
1: with it. Yeah, and I I know. feel like I feel like talking about. Like authenticity or or genuineness. Um, so this this is something that I've I've kind of come up against more so in, um, in music than I have really with any other art. Oh yeah, uh, art medium that they're like, you know, growing up um, and getting a little bit of the taste of like emo, like first second wave emo back in like the the mid yeah. what, the mid nineties and you know like kind of the the early two thousands. Um, that that was like, that was a, a, a style of music that people played with a lot of gusto. And then when it started becoming popular or it started kind of catching on, you know, like record labels would sign bands and then kind of force them into like a, 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 quote unquote emo sound or, you know, like they would, mm-hmm. they would ma- kind of mass produce it. Um, and it got to the point, um, and I, like, I still, I can still kind of do this, but I've, I tend to not listen to, like, most, uh, I guess, like, contemporary popular stuff. Um, but, like, I could I could listen to two bands, and at least for, for me personally, I could, like, I could tell which one of the groups, the members of the bands, like, really actually wanted to play that type of music, or, like, whatever, whatever creative energy that they had as a band naturally manifested itself as that particular type of music versus bands that were kind of, like, forced into that particular like oral place yeah um or we're, like appropriating that aesthetic right. right yeah and that like that to me is um that's kind of where i i cut my teeth on the whole idea of like being like authentic or being genuine or whatever that like it's yeah. like if you if you were left to, to your own devices in you this is what you would do like devoid of any other influence i mean not necessarily like uh, like music that you've like, keeping with music, you know, like music that you've consumed or that you've kind of internalized but like outside of like if you were just in the woods in a cabin somewhere and you had access to these instruments or you, you and your band were out in the woods somewhere and you had access to these instruments and you just played and that was the style of music that you came up with, that to me would be like that's authentic, that's an a quote unquote authentic sound um mm-hmm. Which I think kind of kind of goes to what you, what you were talking about of you know that using it for you using it now like nowadays or more and more more often people using it nowadays is an idea of the, the sort of communal authentic, authenticity of you know like you are you are adhering to an idea of what a like a collective or larger group than just you thinks about like something yeah um, but. I don't know. Like it's. I feel like it's difficult. It's it's difficult. It's more difficult for me to pick that up in writing, and I think that this might be because of my own way that I think about writing. That like with music, um, I I process music almost purely emotionally. It's it's really easy for me to, to like if I if I feel something or I go through an experience and I'm left with an emotion, I can transpose that almost directly into a piece of music. Um, yeah. Or, Whereas with, with writing, it feels like it, it goes through um, at least one, if not more, acts of translation to get what I'm feeling into a like a constructed piece, you know, because of language and, you know, it's like there's constructs and rules and other shit that you have to follow. Um, and I feel like the further and further you, you get away from like just a, a, you know, I guess the kind of romantic idea of... Um, like a, a pure or like a sudden outpouring, outpouring of pure emotion, um, the more and more that you have, um, maybe not limits, but other colors or other things that are being, that are going to color whatever your experience or whatever your expression. I mean, I guess more so it you will color, whatever your, your expression is because it, you're like, you're moving further and further away of just purely this thing that you, that you're dealing with inside of yourself. And then now it's, you know, it's like it's traveling further and further outside of you, into like a more—I don't know—like a more accessible external space. Yeah. Okay. Um. But yeah, I don't know, cause like, and I—I I don't know. It might also be that like with a lot of the poets that I read, um, you know, it's like they kind of they kind of do what you know, like Mary Oliver has been writing Mary Oliver style poems since she published her first collection. Um, And, you know, I, I don't know, regardless, I'm assuming regardless of whatever criticism that she's gotten, like she continues to write like she writes, which to me feels like that's like, you know, whatever her process is, whatever, whatever she goes through to generate her poems to me feels like this is an authentic, like that's, I don't know, like true authentic to her is like, that's just, you know, because essentially like she, she, is left alone to go wander the woods and then she comes back with these poems and that's, you know.
0: But, I mean, I, I think we should be wary of the notion of, of there being any true authentic self. I mean, we're, we're all like, a, you know, we all appropriate on some level. Yeah. You know, out of our experiences and, and the, the kind of artists and, that we admire, the kind of people we admire or the – not admire or just, you know, the, the things that interest us mm-hmm. – we're always kind of, you know, calling, uh, at least partially or, or 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 entirely from other things, mm-hmm. and and that's what ends up being our thing. Yeah, you know, you 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 can't. There's no virgin birth. To oh no, any yeah, sort it's of like we're all we <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So like I I, I you know I, I'm always a little bit wary of, of this idea that that you know. That somehow you just, like you say, and I know you're, I know that's kind of like, um, you're just playing with that idea uh, that we all do. But like just going into the woods and, mm-hmm. and somehow out of this, you know, something, you know, original uh, or authentically us sh- shall come is, I know, I, I've always been a bit wary of that. And at the same time, there are people who clearly, and I think music is a good, you know, example of this. Where you know, people are, are are clearly, you know working in a mode that is not exactly theirs. Right. That that just seems like oh I can latch on to this whether it's because it's popular or it's something that I think I can do well. And but it's it doesn't feel like it's truly them. Yeah. Which you know, it is- the, doesn't really truly feel like it's coming out of their most their deepest self. Yeah. you can just feel it sometimes, especially with music. Yeah. But
1: And yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, I feel like, I feel like with poetry, it's, it might be a little bit easier to, to, to navigate some of that stuff. Because at least for me, um, and like the way that I write, it's like I, like my poetry is, is drawn out of like direct personal experience. So I'm more often than not when I'm writing poetry, like I'm dealing with, like I'm trying to tap into like the, the deep. Or like the deepest aspects or you know whatever whatever it is that's that's coming out um and i feel like with i feel like with longer form writing it's like that process is a little more i don't maybe not muddy but there's like it's a it's a different internal process i think for, like, the difference, you know, it's like telling a story in order to get somebody to feel something versus, like, just trying to, to, like, give them a, like, a paint them a picture with words to get them to feel something, um, I guess, I don't know, there, like, that, that's something that I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, um, or it's, it's constantly not far from, from the, my, I guess, like, my forethought of the differences between poetry and prose, like, like, why? What makes them different from each other, and how do those differences um, manifest in just the process that people go through to, you know, to like get to a point?
0: I wonder that too. Yeah, I, wonder, I mean, uh, I mean, at least for me, I mean, I, I I wrote poetry in high school, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> Same here. And, <laughs> And uh, but I've always been writing fiction. I always knew that fiction was the thing. I, I think it's you know. I mean, I don't know what the major difference. I mean, I I, I can give some, but I, I at the end of the day, I, I'm not confident enough to uh, about poetry to to um to give some distinctions between the two things. But just on a personal level, I think with fiction, it's always um it's always about narrative for me and how narrative yep. allows me to clarify and deepen ideas that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there is, um, I don't know, it's know—it's—it's it's like the a narrative and you can call it plot too. You can call it any number of things, but that dramatic thread that, fiction uh, is carried along. Mm-hmm. Uh, carries me along. It, it directs me. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I don't think I poetry could ever do for me as a writer because I, I wouldn't know quite how to organize my thoughts in poetry. Yeah, um, it, It's not a commentary on a weakness or advantage or whatever in either genre. It's just with fiction, I, I feel like that has what has always appealed to me. Yeah. That I um, that I'm not I'm not also I'm not only just like carrying the reader along. I'm letting plot carry me along as a writer. Right. Uh, is that that's like the most um, uh, the only way I can organize my thoughts and clarify my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's you know I've, I've found the is is very. It's so different when, like, I write nonfiction, which I don't do very often. I feel like I have to kind of like, um, I have to figure out another way of of, of guiding myself in mm-hmm. nonfiction, yeah. you know. Um, and and I, I don't, I don't know if I really know how to do it just yet. Um, and that that's always been the appeal of fiction,
1: you know. When. Um like, when did you start writing or was, was there, I guess, when did you start writing and was there some sort of, I don't know, like impetus that made you start? Like, did you, did you read something and you're like, oh shit, I, I want to do this. Or was it just sort of a slow gradual arrival of like, oh, I'm, I can be a writer. You know, I, I don't, I, uh, I can't pinpoint
0: a work or, or anything that, kind of inspired me in that way. I just know that in first grade, when we paired, when we went off into our reading groups, Mm -hmm. uh, in my first grade class and my teacher would ask us, um, I can pinpoint it at first grade, Mm -hmm. those reading groups. I can't pinpoint an exact moment or anything, but I just remember that when she would ask us to write, you know, fiction, to write a story, uh, it was my absolutely favorite thing to do. Um, and I've never kind of turned. Um, I've never turned back from that. It's mm-hmm. always just been the thing that that I wanted to do. Um, and I think part of that is you know like in that reading group after we would write, we would you know read our work to our classmates. Mm-hmm. And um, and again, that was great. I, I remember in the fifth grade, I you know I was writing throughout this time, but in the fifth grade, I. There was this um, this story collection for kids called Mister um, Uh, Mr. Pudgeons. <laughs> uh it, It's 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 a, a male version of Mary Poppins. It's like British. Uh, I need to look it up sometimes. I think it's a British, you know, uh, uh, children's uh, uh, book, and it's just this male you know, nanny who takes the kids on these fantastic adventures. And I wrote my own version of Mr. Pudgeons stories. <laughs> and every time, you know, we had a little lull in class, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Roberts, would would let me read one of my stories to the class. Oh, that's so, fantastic. And I just absolutely loved that. And, um, yeah, I have never really wanted to do anything else. Yeah, and, so, uh, like,
1: like yeah, when I you... Could, after after I guess like fifth fifth grader like as once you fell in love with with writing or you kind of arrived at that point were, were there like did you not have any other uh, I don't know yeah I guess like was there was li- yeah was there was literally nothing else that you wanted to do other than be a writer
0: it was always the number one thing I, it, nothing has ever kind of supplanted um, writing as you know, I'd never, you know, um, yeah, nothing has ever come close to to being like another option for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always been writing, or, 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 yeah, it's always been it, which is you know problematic because like you know, um, it's 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 great because you're always you always have this clear focus throughout your life. This is what I want to do, but you know, uh, it makes the disappointments harder to take. Yeah, you know. I didn't publish my first book until I was 40, so it, it was a good long time of, uh, of failure and disappointment, and and then, you know, like the first, when I was tw- 29, 30, my first book went out to publishers, uh, story collection, and it, it failed to, to find a publisher, and so there you're confronted with, oh, maybe I can't do this thing that I've the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Right. So then the disappointment can, might be more, you know, uh, devastating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the only thing you've ever wanted to do. And you have to kind of like, uh, uh, readjust your idea of yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. That's always, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Wow.
1: So since this is a, a, a poetry centered podcast, um, what, uh, what has been your, like, your experience and exposure to poetry over the course of, of your life? Like, was there a point that, like, you didn't, like, was there ever a point that you didn't appreciate it, and then you got to a point where you're like, okay, yeah, I, I can see the value in this, or, like, were you yeah. always kind of there, or, I mean?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's, it, well, I mean, my, my exposure to poetry, you know, obviously the, the poetry that you read when you're in grade school mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, in college I was an English major and then and then I got a master's in English and then I got a Ph.D. Um, so I, I was engaging with poetry on that level. Mm-hmm. I rarely read poetry just for pleasure, um, unfortunately, um, uh, even though I, I th- there's you know, I've, I've always loved poetry, but um you know, I hesitate at first because like it's hard to describe my relationship with poetry without you know um, without thinking about my relationship with it as, as a student and, uh, which is very, yeah, you know, and it's it's similar to you know fiction too because for a long time, especially when you're on the academic route, the scholarly route, you you look at literature in, in very differently yeah. so for a long time, you know, I didn't look at poetry on a personal level. I always, um, I always looked at it as an as an artifact. Mm-hmm. Its value is 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 like you know inherently there. Mm-hmm. Why would we be reading it in a English class if it didn't already have value? So my job was not to uncover its value to me as a person, but, but just my the, job yeah, was to cover the value its value to literature mm-hmm. to. To my professor, you know, yeah, and I, I think that's um, personally I, I find that's the wrong approach to literature. Not wrong is the not the right word, <laughs> but it's it's not the approach that I I think has most value to me. I it, it is know? a
1: very yes I agree I feel like it's a very uh, limiting approach to literature. Yeah. I think especially to poetry because that's something that like I didn't I didn't read the the like I didn't start reading poetry for my own pleasure and edification until I was maybe halfway through grad school and at this time like I was I was an English major I was like writing poetry I was taking poetry classes but it was Mary Oliver's Redbird um that caught my eye at a Barnes and Nobles you know like I think my sophomore or junior year and I, I picked it up and I was like oh shit Like this, like this is poetry. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that at least in my experience, when I had to analyze poems in, um, at at least in undergrad, I feel like in in grad school, especially at UB with Kendrick Opelke at the helm, it's, it's weighted a little more towards um, like, what is, like, what is the poem making you feel like that's i think that the best way to get into poetry and i think a way for like the fear and the sort of um resistance that a lot of people have towards reading poetry you're like oh i don't understand it or i don't know what's going on you know it's like well the the point a lot of the times for poems at least the the kind of ground foundation is not so much like do you understand what's going on it's more so what does this thing make you feel or like how do you how are you um like emotionally where where are you now in relation to where you were before you read this poem um because when i when i did stuff in undergrad it was much more um i don't know like clinical like you're you know talking about like the Like, what are these motions doing? Or like, you know, what what is the poet talking about in this instance? What is this an allusion to? Uh, you know, like how is the language working here? What is the language doing? It's like that's all well and good, but I feel like if you're missing the foundation of like you know, at at a core at its core is like, is this poem trying to make me feel something? Is there some sort of emotional transference happening? And if so, what? And then you can start talking about it's like, well is it successful in that way? And then getting into the language of like, you know, is this word choice, the best word choice is this, is this line that's jammed? Like, what is this doing to your feeling and, and all that? Um, but yeah, I, I definitely feel like with, with analysis, especially in, at least in my like undergrad experiences, it was m- so much colder and so much more objective and, and distance. And like you said, like trying to find, um, like trying to, to relate it somehow to the canon that we're presented with and like, you know, where does this fit in the kind of the the constellations of these, of these canons instead of taking a much more personal approach to it and like, well, where, like, where does this, how does this sit inside of me? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with teaching. I, you know, you realize, I, at least I realized that, uh, I mean, I had some wonderful people teaching me, but they weren't always wonderful teachers, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's not just like, I mean, obviously, like, you, the, the way you look at literature as a writer in class mm-hmm. uh, is very different from the way you look at literature as a scholar in class.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
0: and, and I appreciate those differences and I respect them. Um, but even if you're looking at it from a scholarly point of view, I think sometimes there's, you know, I don't know how many times I've talked to someone who's, and maybe this is more the case with like, you know, students of literature. Mm Um, I don't know how many times I've talked to someone who's like doing their PhD and, and we're talking about a book. And they're really excited about the book because it fits into their, you know, whether it's a project they're doing or a dissertation, whatever. And, and I asked them, well, do you actually like the book? I said, no, I don't <laughs> like it. It just really works for my – and that's where I, 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 you know, I get disappointed. And I think sometimes that gets lost. There are clearly a lot of scholars that, that love the work that they're, you know – you know um that they're researching and writing about Mm -hmm. too often it it it, you know it's a kind of it feels like an artifact it it feels like um you know um a research tool uh for for um you know for their main you know um intellectual project Mm -hmm. and um and I, 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 literature has never—that's never been my relationship with literature. Okay. No, that was for a long time, but it's not my relationship with it now. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, you know, I can't appreciate a work just because you know it—it's it, interesting only on a kind of research level. Yeah. You know, um, I just can't. You know, that's not how I find value in in literature anymore. But for a long time, that's that's how it was. I didn't know any different, to be yeah.
1: honest. Yeah, I don't, you know? I don't think I could finish reading a book if the only value that I saw in it saw in it was some sort of like research um, mm-hmm. or like scholarly. You know, it's like yeah. oh, this, but, this but, fits here.
0: Yeah, but I, I do want to, you know, say I mean that's me. I mean, I'm I'm okay with people doing that mm-hmm. because that's just how they approach it. And, and that is basically the, the, the purview of, of, you know, scholarly research work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I respect and can appreciate that. Yeah, uh, That's just not how I do it. Because uh, I'm not a researcher. I yeah. never thought of myself as, as one.
1: So this, this or, is something uh, that, like, doesn't really have anything to do with what we were talking about, but is tangentially related because it has to do, I guess, with research. But, like... Um, When I was in undergrad, we were, we didn't deal like super heavily with, uh, I guess like close reading, but like that was the sort of idea, especially like in class when we would have to do certain assignments based, you know, like reading, I don't know, like a good man is hard to find. And then you had some question that you were trying to prove or disprove or think about and, you know, like the point or the objective was to, to read the, the work uh, and pull from it things that you, that you saw that would fit this, you know, based yeah. upon your, your understanding and the context and your circumstances or whatever, that would fit, you know, like, yes, I agree with this. Or no, I don't agree with this. Um, and yet, and this is something that it was up only until recently that I realized that didn't make any sense to me, when we would have to do actual research papers, or at least for me, that like, I would have to find sources that either agreed, like backed up or didn't back up my conclusions that I was drawing from something. Yeah, and if the whole point was, you know, like close reading and like analyzing this thing along the lines of, well, this is what you, this is what I see, and these, this is the evidence that I can find to support the things that I see, and thus have a valid, you know, response to this thing because I found evidence to support me. Like, why would you look then outside of yourself or outside of your relationship to the work to see it's like, oh, do other people agree with me mm-hmm. on this? Um, I don't know. Well, it's just I mean, it's something, yeah. something that I've thought about that. I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of pertinent to what we're discussing, but I don't know. It's...
0: Yeah, well, again, I think that's, um, that's the fault of a lot of teachers, is that if if you're an english professor yeah i've I've noticed that my english professors never i had some really really great english professors and yet they were not great in the the aspect of trying to um help students understand how this process can work yeah because if if a student had come to me with what you just said Mm -hmm. i would tell them that you know research is important because it allows you You sometimes won't know what you think or Mm -hmm. how, you know, you know, your response to a work until you do the research. Right. And that research is not about finding people who agree or disagree with you. It's about finding it's about fleshing out and expanding your relationship with a particular work of literature. And that out of that, you can then, you know, hopefully devise your own point of view. Um, but you know, teachers don't talk about that, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a weird thing. I, I remember like all my, all these English classes I took and, and English professors never stopped to, to talk about those kinds of practical things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, what, what you just said, I don't think any of my English professors ever presented something to me like that when I was going through undergrad.
0: I had to figure that shit out on my own. And I'm, you know, it's like I have these like Harvard, Berkeley trained professors and yet they don't know enough to tell me, tell their students that, which Mm -hmm. I think is so crucial because it fucks up. If you don't do that, you don't talk about those kinds of things. It it fucks up your students' relationship with literature. Yeah. You think, you know, it's, it's, you know, um, yeah, it, 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 it. I think it really uh, kept students from having an honest relationship with the works that they're looking at. yeah and and, and that was unfortunate because uh, I think that happened to me and I, I didn't really disabuse myself of that approach until uh, I got to the MFA and started reading contemporary work and deciding on my own what I thought about it right as much on my own as I could. Yeah, you know, you're still influenced by by things, but still. Oh, yeah. I was finally reading stuff that I, I, oh, I want to read this as opposed to, you know, you know a professor telling me that, that I needed to read this or defining its value for me.
1: Right, yeah, that you had that, that books are being presented to you, bef- like books were presented to you before as like, this is important, you have to read it as opposed to yeah. like, like you, you were determining for yourself like, oh, this is an important thing. For me,
0: yeah, I mean, creative writing professors do a version of that also, but it, it feels a little bit more honest, you know, uh, sometimes than than in um, in scholarly English classes.
1: Yeah, well, I think that like for my experience <laughs> with creative writing classes, it's it's more so presented like the things that you that that I've been presented to read um, or have been given to read it. It's pre- usually presented much more of a like. Um, like these things are pertinent to conversations that like we're, we're either having now or like pertinent to things that are happening in the world or these are things that you like should be made aware of yeah. Um, yeah. and especially I feel like in grad school there was a lot of um, in grad school and like one one or two classes when I was an undergrad there was a lot of pushback against the like the white western canon mm-hmm. or like supp- like supplementing some of those things was like you know this is this is the canon piece but this is a, a something else that was written at the same time that's doing wildly different things that was overlooked you know for, mm. for a long time but you know like these things that we've thought later could find their genesis in this one particular piece that you know it's yeah. only now it's only quote-unquote nowadays that people look back and see like oh okay i you know I recognize that there's more happening um, in writing than just, you know, whatever was whatever old white guys were, were up to. Yeah. Okay. So I have, I have three questions for you. Um, Two of which I have traditionally asked all of my guests after like one particular guest for the change. Um, but this one, like I was going through the the questions that I send out, and I saw this one at the bottom of the of uh, user generated questions, and I'm I'm just curious, is writing fun for you, or is like is that something that you think about when you write, um, or like no, it's not. That... It's not fun. It's okay. not fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and I I hate to be one of those. I know writers like to to say this, that writing is painful, but it, it, it is, it's just, you know, I guess like a non writer would ask, well, why the hell do you do it? Then if it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Like I don't want to romanticize it in any way. Well, I have to do it or, you know, something like that. I don't know. It's just a compulsion yeah. and when you get it right. It feels wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's part of your identity. So at this, at a certain point, you feel you need to do it to, to kind of preserve, maintain this identity. I don't know, but, but writing is not really fun, uh, every now and then it is, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it's just so much, they just so, there's so much doubt and like, uh, uncertainty involved and, and any act that, is mostly doubt and uncertainty. It's not fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, revision
0: is much better. Revision, I actually love revision. Okay, I think I think that's where you know, for me, like I, I'm kind of an obsessive compulsive person. Um, I mean, like real OCD sometimes, mm-hmm. and and, um, and I've always loved. I like order, and I, I love. Taking something that is messy and making something um, beautiful and neat out of it—it it gives me tremendous satisfaction. So take so the process of revision, and, and of course, I revise as I write, which mm-hmm. is why it's hard for me. I need to get it right before I can move forward. Yes, but even moving forward, I know that I'm going to have to go back at some point and keep revising. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when I'm revising something, it's already been, like, revised a hundred times. <laughs> but but that process of revision is so incredibly satisfying because I'm taking something and making it better. Yeah. And the, the feeling of knowing that, oh, I made this sentence better or I made this this scene better, it, it's just incredibly satisfying. Okay. And, and it's, it's like it's solving a problem, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, and, and And that is actually very, very fun. And I—, I, I Quite like that. I
1: feel like it's the difference between like, like having a, the difference between like putting an IKEA desk together when you have all the pieces versus mm-hmm. like actually crafting all of the pieces that you need to make this IKEA desk. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's a that's a great analogy. You know, I always use the analogy of writing. For me, is like stumbling through a dark house. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck is that fun? That's no <laughs> fun. I mean, I, I don't know how big the house is, I don't know how many rooms are in there, I can't see anything. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly bumping into things and hurting myself. Yeah. You know, that is not fun. Yeah. There is an allure to that, the allure of discovery, mm-hmm. um, the intrigue of of you know of of you know of mysteries and, and unanswered questions. There, there, there is something appealing about that, sure. But for the most part, it's not fucking fun.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, keeping with that analogy, would revision for you then be like once you've stumbled through the house and you've kind of like mapped it out? Do the lights then come on and you're like, oh, I can, I can do internal decoration for this, or it's like, oh, that, like yeah, the absolutely. bed actually needs to be in this corner of the room instead of. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. When I like the person who I don't think that this came up actually in the podcast that the person who wrote like who added the question to the 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 list of questions but I've like I've often gone back and thought about like for myself is writing fun and I've I've come to the conclusion that like it's not something that I've ever thought about in relation to writing um like I there is a certain exhilaration or a certain sense of I guess like satisfaction when I write a line and I'm like, yeah, this is fucking it. Or it's like, God damn, that's a line. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels like it's. Um, I don't know. It's like eating for me. It's just, it's something that, like, in order for my body to function in the correct way, it's like I occasionally have to write. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's something that, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, it's like I'm snacking on good gourmet stuff. Other times it's like I'm eating Cheez Its. But. You know, it's like when that when that hunger pangs, it's like I just this is something that I've like you said, it's like a compulsion. It's just it's something that like I if I if I were to stop, I would end up feeling more terrible. Um, mm-hmm. but that's funny
0: because I, I can stop for long periods of time and I'm just okay. <laughs> you know, it's like this is this it's the thing that I've always wanted to do uh and that I've always done and yet I I you know I enjoy not doing it yeah you know um <laughs> I always come back to it because it is something it, it is my most meaningful act in life I right. think
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so I'll always need it for that and again it's it's my uh way of defining myself mm-hmm. for myself and for other people so I'll always need that you know um but beyond that, I mean I mean I, I I I didn't write a word of fiction until September. And it had been almost three years yeah. since I written yeah. anything. And I was totally fine. <laughs> I was, like, perfectly happy not doing it, you know. <laughs> um, but you know, everyone's everyone's relationship with, with their writing is different. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. So second question. If you have the vocabulary for it, what is your internal landscape like?
0: Yeah, I saw that question. That's really interesting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I uh, if if I'm understanding the question correctly, you know, I, I often think of my internal landscape in, in terms of music. You okay. Know? Um, and it's always uh. You know, I think if people met me, they would probably think that I'm a very cheerful, happy person, mm-hmm. and I think I am. You know, I don't think that's like a, you know, a cover for anything. <laughs> but internally, I I think I, I'm a, I think my internal landscape is rather um, m- morbid and melancholy. Okay, uh, and so like you know, you know, so I would describe my internal landscape. In musical terms, it would be something like, you know, the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds or or one of my favorite bands. They are actually my favorite contemporary band. It's like Beach House. Ooh,
1: um, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: So, like, you know, th- th- that's kind of the, the, the... Yeah, that that would be like the, the, the atmosphere <laughs> of... Um, uh, inside me. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't want to overstate it because I, I don't want to make it melodramatic or I don't want to romanticize it either. I think it's easy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm honest, I think that's how I've always kind of operate inside. Yeah, There's kind of like, there's like this weird, inexplicable melancholy nostalgia, but it's kind of uh, luxurious in a way. So I'm already kind of inherently romanticizing it. <laughs> Um, whether I'm trying to or not. Um, -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's a, a, it's a luxuriating in in a certain, you know, um, you know, (laughs) sense that life is inevitably sad and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm okay with that because it's it's like, it's like a, there's a certain depth to that, that I really, um, uh, that is really meaningful to me. I don't know. Yeah. uh, no, that's, that's like
1: that's that's really interesting. I think you're the first person that I've asked that question to that has uh, explained it in terms of music. But that like that makes complete and total sense. Um, yeah, I
0: can't see it. That's the thing. Yeah,
1: it's just it's more of like the like the emotional because like the, when I when I listen to Beach House, I'm usually ooh. There's another there's another Baltimore band that you should check out if you like Beach House. You should check out Thrushes. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I definitely will. I'll send you a link to them. Um, but I'm actually going to write down Beach House as something to throw up and thrushes. Um But like that, whatever sort of like the that emotional hue that I I feel when I listen to Beach House, like I can I can picture that and pinpoint that exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And like yeah. kind of like what we talked about, or you mentioned a couple times when we were at Vermont, that like you know, going outside early in the morning to smoke and like that, the soundtrack that you have. for That feels like that, like that corresponds almost perfectly with what, with what you just, what you just said. Yeah, it,
0: it, it, it absolutely does. Um, and I like it, you know, I mean, I, I, that's how I, I think that's the, that's where I've always kind of been, you know, uh, that's always been my relationship with myself. Mm hmm That, that kind of zone, that environment. And it's, it's, you know, I call it sad or melancholy, but it's actually a a nice, very nice place. Yeah.
1: Huh. That's wow. That's really cool. Huh. Okay. (laughs) Now I got, I might have to reinterpret mine. But the, the last question that I have is, uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, any topic, anything, like not necessarily literature related, but if there's anything that you have ever have wanted to ask or would be interested in asking me, um, oh
0: crap! I know I have, and now I can't think of them. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever wanted to write fiction?
1: Um. Yes. Um. Well, I've I've wanted to to write stories um be it like fiction or graphic novels or screenplays or theater or whatever um and i have tried on numerous occasions but they have all turned out as crap um huh. like pretty pretty unmitigated crap um and i i really don't think that i'm so the way that i've always kind of thought about it um is like if, if, Uh Oh, Oh, did, did I drop out again?
0: Yeah, but I I can still hear you. So,
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I just, I turned off the video just to, to make things a little, uh, to free up some, some whatever. But anyway, um, yeah, I've always kind of viewed, uh, poetry as like a sprint. Um, you know, it's like you, you kind of, you get in, you run real, real fast to the finish line and then you're done. Um, Yeah and I've like long form or longer forms of writing or like narrative writing for me feels like a marathon that like you just, you have to keep, you have to keep going. And even if you stop, it's like you still have to keep going. And I think that I am, I'm much better built for sprinting. Like if, if I were to do long form writing, um, I think that it it would take a lot of perseverance and dedication and energy and training, um, and there is a uh, certain general reluctance on my part to like put myself <laughs> put myself through that, um, but. Yeah, like I cuz there the there are ideas that I have for stories that I would like to get out, but the the main issue that I have with that is that I just I wish that I could just somehow open up my brain and just dump it out and then just that's be right. there and not have to actually sit down and go through the act of of writing. Um Yeah.
0: Oh, that's uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, cuz like I've there have been, there have been story ideas and stuff that I've, I've tried to do and it's like, they just, they either get away from me or they're just like, they're just not good. Or I start thinking of like, well, you know, like I start boiling down to like, what's the emotional core or what's the, you know, this. And then I was like, oh, well, I, if it's just, if this is the emotional core of this, then it's like, I could just write a poem about this or I could, you know, I could easily turn this into some sort of musical thing instead of like the story. So there's yeah, always yeah. that, that like out that I kind of have, um, no I understand that yeah yeah have you have you ever wanted to write poetry
0: um I mean like I said I wrote it in high school but I never no I never really thought I was a poet or or thought that I could or would want to write poetry and I honestly don't know why um I think it was just very simply that, that fiction was always the thing for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and and no other, you know, occupation or or in literature, any, any other genre, appealed to me in the same way. So it was not – I didn't necessarily have a reason for not wanting to be a poet. I just didn't have any reason to not want to be a fiction writer more. You okay. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I, never really, I never really thought about it yeah. much. I knew that uh, oh, it was fiction, and that was it. Yeah. I didn't want anything else. Yeah, huh?
1: Well, I feel like that's at a, that's this a... point,
0: I just could, I wouldn't be able to write poetry. I just don't understand the form enough, yeah, um, to even try it. Um, and I just, I, I guess, I just never. It'd be the same thing. I mean, nonfiction. I think I can write a little bit better now, mm-hmm. um, but even so, I feel like I'm you know, I'm doing something that is not my, in my wheelhouse. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I definitely, I, whenever I, I write stuff that's not poetry, um, cause I feel like I'm so out of practice with writing prose stuff. Cause I haven't, I haven't written like anything prose in years. And I, I, it's like I'm trying to do like the, um, like the presidential fitness thing. And you're go, you have to do like the, uh, like the, um, to sit and stretch and you're like i have not stretched. Yeah. i have not bent over in or you know like i haven't bent my mm-hmm. body like this in a decade um yeah but huh yep that is true <laughs> uh well i feel like that's a pretty good place to stop uh especially because of all of the um technical issues that we've <laughs> that we've had in the last little bit that uh will be edited out <laughs> and no one will know aside from this that that, that happened um Oh, no either way. away <laughs> uh, but thank you vu so much for uh, talking with me this was a whole hell of a lot of fun um yeah it was great chatting with you man um yeah, and it's like this is so I wish I needed to be a little more proactive with this but like I wanted to to just get like one of the like you know one of the nights that the writers were hanging out um I wish that I would have brought my computer and my microphone and just set it up and just let people talk <laughs> um. Cause like that's like that's what I try to accomplish with the podcast, and I feel like I missed out on so many fucking great opportunities of just. Yeah, we,
0: we, we had some wonderful conversations. Yeah, in June. Um, I know I did. Yeah.
1: But so, uh, thank you again so much for for sitting and talking with me. Um, thank you, listeners. Yeah. Um, take care of yourself. Yeah, you too. And um, is there any is there any parting wisdom that you'd like to, to, uh, leave me and the my listenership with? Oh no! I got no. I got.
0: I. I, <laughs> I, I, I I'm, I'm honestly not a fan of those like, like aphorisms and one line wisdoms. I got no.
1: Okay. Beware of good advice. That's one piece of advice Ooh, I can give. Okay. Uh, well, on that note, um, thank you all so much. <laughs> thank you. No, all no, I no. Got. It's totally fine, man. I, I I've been I've been threatening to come up with an actual sign off for the last three set seasons, and I've I have not done it, and I've leaned on my my guests too. Um, but no, that's I think that that's good. Um, but as always, thank y'all, uh, listeners, so much for for listening. Um, I will be back in January with uh, episode four, uh, and I will talk to y'all then.